Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the one and only Dr. Gemma Munro on the show. Dr. Gemma is a thought leader, a transformational facilitator, and an uplifting and award-winning speaker with a PhD in performance psychology and a flair for lighting up leaders. She's the winner of the Duncan Prize for Speaking and a two-time Telstra Business Woman of the Year finalist. She's known for being a catalyst for laughter, aha moments, and wake-up calls. Dr. Gemma has spoken to audiences such as Google, Amazon, PayPal, Qantas, Vodafone, and NHS in London. She's inspired over 72,000 people around the world at her keynote at Google headquarters in Silicon Valley, which was live streamed to every single Google office across the planet. She's also a classically trained singer, and Gemma performed at Westminster Abbey, Radio City Music Hall, and to a somewhat heart-stopping 53,000 screaming fans as a backing vocalist for the Rolling Stones. In this episode, we deep dived into her journey from where she was described as too passionate to be taken seriously as a consultant to starting her own business and building the very well-respected Inkling Group to now in her new business, Lighting Up Leaders, where she's following her mission in helping ignite the spark in leaders all across the world. We also talked about the importance of finding your own lane in life and how transformative this can be. Gemma then described how she found her own lane. And then we talked to the idea of having parallel lanes in your life, which makes rooms for other passion projects such as music, poetry, or anything else really. We touched on how singing helped her in her speaking career. And she gave us some really great practical advice on what she did to become a better speaker. We then really deep dived into the science and the art of setting vision and making it a reality. We talked about how to be brave with your choices and Gemma gave us some practical tips on how to control the inner voice and that pesky lizard brain. It was about this time that she decided that she would try to get into the inner workings of my brain, which can make for an amusing listen because it's a bit of a mess up there. We then touched on the importance of taking downtime and creating a space to listen to the signs to avoid burnout. And we talked about so much more. I absolutely know you're going to love this chat. And if you would like to listen or learn more about any of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump onto our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. Excellent. So, Welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today we have the amazing Gemma Munro, Dr. Gemma Munro on the show. Thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure to be here, Daniel. I'm going to just start the podcast off in a slightly different way. I'm just going to rattle off a few of your accolades. Okay. Uh, so, number one, winner of the Duncan Prize 
medal in, or prize for speaking. Number two, two-time Telstra Business Woman of the Year finalist. You've spoken in front of audiences at Google, Amazon, PayPal, Qantas, and many, many more. You have a PhD in performance psychology, an entrepreneur, a co-founder, previous CEO to the company, your company, Inkling Group, which is known across the world for lifting the percentage of women in the leadership levels. Uh, you did a Google talk uh, for, for Google yeah. themselves, yeah. right? So actual Google, which was streamed worldwide uh, to every Google office across the planet. You performed in Westminster Abbey, Radio City Music Hall and sang as a backing vocalist to the Rolling Stones in front of 53,000 yes. people. You are uh, the founder of Lighting Up Leaders now, which is your new venture and doing some really amazing things, helping leaders find their spark and removing some limiting beliefs and all the above. And on top of this, you're a wife, you're a mother with two young, beautiful children. I should say there, just in case my partner freaks out, I'm not a wife. Well, okay, partner, <laughs> partner. Am. Well, that's the, it's the same. I thing. am a long-term live-in partner. De it's fact, not quite as sexy. De facto. Yeah, it's, all, it's, it's, all, it's all the same in the eyes of the law. Uh, <laughs> so that's an amazing uh, background and, uh, and history of events that you've, you know, things that you've been involved in. There's a little bit of a head wobble going on over the other <laughs> side. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's, it's funny it, when, when you read out, and I think it's the same with anyone. I know you had Dr. Terry Sweeney on and you were just – and he's, he's a special case, isn't he? He, he's, he he's an amazing human. Now, well, that's how we met. So, well, that's how we got introduced. Was, through the podcast. Was, well, well, no, Dr. Terry mentioned your name oh, to me. Oh, how so. we got yeah, introduced. You, yes. You, no, you I, right. I've got so much time for him, but you were reading out his list and it would be the same if someone read out your highlights. You just go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> But when you're in it, you're just doing it. It doesn't feel particularly wonderful. It's when you get to the end of it and you read out, you go, oh, right, I actually did yeah, some stuff. There's a, there's and it was hard and it, it was enjoyable. But when you're in it, you don't really think about that. 100%. And you're not, I guess you're not, you're not chasing the accolades. It, it just, it's all part of the value that you're trying to give to the world. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it has all been part of a broader purpose for me and then there are times where I was just doing it for fun or just because I was asked or because I could but in the end you look back and go ah I see the golden thread but you weren't necessarily aware of it at that time. So your name you've done a uh, you recently did a keynote with Dr Terry and that's where all this sort of came about and you and I um, ended up chatting from there. Yeah. It's like um, you know when you buy a new car and you just see the name you, once you buy a new car, you see the the car everywhere. Yes. <laughs> right? I think the same thing happened with with me and you. I, I saw you did that talk, and then all of a sudden, your name popped up everywhere. And everyone that I'd spoken to, my business partner, everyone in my team, they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we know." I, is it? <laughs> I'm like, "She's a household name. How have I not? How have I not uh, picked this up earlier?" So, tell us a little bit about your story and how have you become this worldwide phenomenon. Oh, thank you for that beautiful <laughs> introduction. Um, uh, my story started out actually in probably in high school where I had to do a year 12 English project and you could choose any topic you want. So you mm. could read a whole range of books and I love reading. 
And I realized the topic I was most interested in was success and motivation and fulfillment and how they all linked. And if anything's been a golden thread through my life, I think it's been that. Um, so I went on to do psychology because I was interested in how the mind ticked and I did my PhD um, and I was in academia for a while and then very quickly realised academics talk to other academics. Mm. And in my world, this is not the case for many academics, but in my world it was very much navel-gazing rather than going out and changing the world and I wanted to make some small little impact on the world. Um, so I went into executive recruitment and then management consultancy and it was trial by fire. I actually said the other day, I, I still remember crying in the toilets because it was such a, you can imagine the, the cloistered, protected world of academia yeah. and then suddenly you're, you're thrust throwing, into yeah. this competitive, hierarchical, 17 to 20 hour days, churn and burn kind of world. And I was a sensitive sausage and still am a little, <laughs> but my goodness, I learned a lot and I'm so grateful for it. So that was really where I learned to, to bring together performance psychology, um, success, fulfillment, my interest in that with the corporate world mm. and, and started to see that there were so many opportunities for leaders to feel more lit up. Um, I also started to see the fact that the women who I was coaching, because I was doing a lot of performance coaching at that time, would say to me things like, Jem, I see the women at the top of my organisation and I see success and I see achievement, but I don't necessarily see balance and I don't necessarily see authenticity and fun and I want those things. Mm. And so they were bowing out of leadership roles. So after that, it was that plus the fact that my daughter only had a 40% chance of making it um, in utero um, and we had procedures on her. It was really, really um dramatic <laughs> and and traumatic and there was a moment where I just realized life's too short to not be doing what you really love and what you think is really important and life's too short to be working 17 hour days 50 weeks a year Agreed. so I uh, took a step out of management consulting and I started uh, my first business uh, Inkling Women which I just I honestly think we were in the right place at the right time mm. in that there weren't many doing women's leadership development. And I guess with my background and also my background in performance, there was a way of fusing that to create programs that made a huge impact for women. So 60% of the women we worked with got promoted within um, six months, which we were really, really proud of. Yeah, it's an amazing stat. Yeah. You stole that. I was going to rattle that one off. But... Oh, I rattled it off for you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Um, and then uh, from that point after eight years, I was saying to you the other day, when a business becomes relatively successful and, and medium size as opposed to a quirky, nimble startup, yeah. it becomes about processes and procedures and that drives me up the wall. Yeah. And I'm really, I love creating. Um, and I, I felt like my, my time in women and leadership and diversity, while I'm so proud of it and I loved it, it was just done and I wasn't fired up anymore. Um, and I had a, an awakening. I left a marriage. I left the business. I sold um, my half of the business. And then I started what I'm doing now, which is all around, as you said, lighting up leaders and helping them find the spark that was always within them and to light it or relight it and then to spread that out to the world so it creates this ripple effect within teams and organisations. Brilliant. 
when you – I want to go back to the time when you started and there's so much more and I want to talk about the Rolling Stones quickly. <laughs> sure. But we'll get to that. When you started the Inkling Group and, you yeah. you know, you had the – obviously the, the family – um, concerns with yeah. with your daughter, which is never nice, and I went through something similar, not not to th- that extent, but mm. um, we won't. We no need to go into that. Uh, we, um, I'm really interested in your thought process around the creation of the business, and what what problem were you looking to solve? You said the women in leadership piece. Yeah. Was that something that you'd experienced? previously in your management consulting world a lot? It is such a great question and it's so funny. I'm, I'm often focused on how I can help others and what's going on for others mm. but then I forget to go, what's actually happening for myself here? So, yeah. yes, it absolutely was. Um, it was an environment and, and again, I actually, it's a fantastic workplace so this isn't me denigrating them in any way um, but the nature of consulting particularly at that time was was very competitive conversations were like bam 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 yeah. bam and it it you were wrong um, and you were wrong quickly and you were called out for being wrong and it was a difficult mm. environment and I felt I still remember being being told that I was um too passionate um, to be taken seriously when I spoke in front of groups. Yeah, wow. And I tried so hard to hammer out that passion. It's like I'm just going to be very serious now. Live within a box. That's right. And mm. and become that because the, 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 the avatar, if you like, of, of the, cons- the ideal consultant was masculine, intellectual versus emotional, um, uh, very much based on right versus wrong as opposed to brainstorming and creativity. Um, and after six months, that that was coinciding with uh, my daughter having her issues, and also someone close to me, um, their uh, two two year old drowned. And it was this sense of I can't be myself in this organisation. This isn't. I can be a version of myself, yeah. And I could get away with that. And to the outside world, it looks like I'm doing well and I'm really happy. But I knew it was like um, it was like I was trapped in a bit of a bud, and I just. I, the bud was lovely and smelled great. I've taken this analogy way too no, far. No. <laughs> but it, there was this sense of needing to, to blossom, to, to shed a, a snake skin yeah. and actually be a little naked and raw and vulnerable and step into who I really am. Yeah, I love it. We, uh, we are a management and consulting firm. But we I are, realise this. We are, but we are doing exactly, we're trying to do exactly what you we're experiencing like the opposite of what you were experiencing. We feel that we're a bunch of misfits that have been put together. And I think like I've never worn a, da- a suit a day in this in this in this business. You know, I wear the odd blazer and chinos and all that sort of stuff. And the team, our expectations are completely different of the people that we that we bring into the because we we hire great minds. We yeah, don't, we don't hire people who fit a mold. So um, I really love that you brought that up because it is it is consultants are pigeonholed to be a certain type and, and we're like when we talk about solving problems we are actually trying to solve that problem in itself we want to be a different type of consulting firm so oh uh, hats off to you and I, I feel like you and I will continue this particular conversation um, over coffee and wine some other time Absolutely. because it's actually hard yeah. and I, I, I certainly started inkling with the huge aim for it to be the the not the very opposite, but to take the best bits of what consulting can do really well and discard the rest. And it was incredibly difficult to not have it turn into 
a stressful, busy consulting firm because in consulting firms your people and their time are what brings in the revenue and profit. So I really struggled with that and in the end I I realised again I I couldn't be um, the best version of who I was in that business and again I'm I'm incredibly proud of it, I'm not denigrating it but it had become a version of that consulting firm and that's not what I want to, and I, I've got friends who have consulting firms and they're struggling with the same issue. It's how do we actually keep the people and the heart in this kind of business? Yeah, and I'm not uh, – I'm absolutely going through those <laughs> struggles as well. I think but it, I, I think that comes with scale. Right? Yes. As the business scales, the, the processes become very important because it yeah. allows – it allows the less reliance on the directors and the founders and whatnot and it allows people to pick up and where where it's supposed to be. It does. And yeah. I think that the, the, the trap is just to make sure there's not that constant need. You scale, you bring on in more people and then you need to feed more people and it's, yeah. it's this um, feeding the beast type mm. scenario. But yeah. I, I do, I am actually really passionate about helping to create consulting firms, not that I do this, but with my friends um, and uh, other people in consulting, I think there is a way to do it and to do it well. Sounds like you're on the right track with it. We're trying. Yeah. It's through no lack of trying, right? <laughs> I really want to talk about the – you and I spoke offline and it's something that um, really jogged in in my thought process. We, you And you mentioned it just before when you said – you weren't enjoying the business aspect of it. Yeah. You, you wanted to continue to add value. I love the business aspect of it, but I know so many, and my business partner included, she loves the adding value, the creation of content, the getting out there, speaking with people and inspiring people in the same in the same breath that you have basically said as well. What was it about the business piece that put you off? And, and yeah. You've mentioned to me in the words where you found your own lane and yeah. you wanted to go down that path as opposed to finding the opposite lane or whatever it might be. Yeah. Can we, can we talk to that? I'd, I'd love to. I, I still have this distinct memory um, of uh, being uh, – we were selected to be part of KPMG's Elevate 61 that takes – 10 Australian businesses and takes them to the US to learn how to pitch, to give them pitching experience um, and to actually uh, give them a pitching audience so they, they can get investment and become uh, bigger internationally and particularly in the US. And I remember hearing one Australian founder say that American investors love Australian founders because they're, they're like cockroaches. They're willing to push shit uphill and eat shit to actually succeed and in that moment I went I'm not you know I'm (laughs) I'm, not willing to eat shit to succeed (laughs) and I'm not a cockroach (laughs) and I saw in the the startup world um and and in the the growing a business as opposed to growing people and I'm so into growing people and growing myself but growing a business it to me um there are some people who are born for it and I have the brain to do it and I can do it reasonably well but it doesn't make my socks roll up and down you know it's not it's just not it doesn't align with my strengths and I believe why I'm here and I think I I was chatting to you when we talked offline about 
the fact that it, it, it felt like I'd found my almost lane. Mm. Like, oh, this is so close. You know, I'm, I'm helping women and I'm growing the gender balance at leadership level and I'm growing this organization and it, it t- I grew it into a multi-million dollar business and lots of people and I love the people part of it and I love the leadership part of it. The looking at profit and loss statements, I was like, oh, mm. yeah. It just, it didn't light me up. Yeah. So for me... The the way of it, finding your own lane, I think it, it's a you do you start off with this big lane where it's like oh this is all feeling okay and over time you hone your strengths and your passions and what you think you're here for and it's like the lane gets narrower and narrower and I know so many people who are in their almost lane and it feels good enough but they know there's something more they're meant to be doing or different they're meant to be doing. And it's a big jump to go, actually, I'm really good at this and I've got success through this. Um, It is a big jump to go, still not quite my lane. But I also know that making that brave choice of going, this isn't my actual lane and then going for it, for me, that's made all the difference in my happiness and fulfilment. And even it's it's less important to me, but even financial success, that has all come from going, this is my lane. I'm unapologetic about mm. that. I love the terminology, almost lane. Mm. Do, what is your thought process around, well, actually, let me rephrase this. How many people are playing in the almost lane or driving in the almost lane versus the actual lane, in your opinion? I would, what, the figure that came to my mind was 90%. I think yeah, wow. 90% are in the almost lane. Um, and... Uh, I, I think, I don't want to get too esoteric, <laughs> but I, I do think everyone has the, the potential and the capability and the little gentle nudges from that small, still voice within to say, oh, honey, it's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes circumstances prevent people acting on that. And then sometimes it's just a matter of, I am terrified. Mm-hmm. And it's so understandable. In, in my opinion, the, the almost lane is a much more comfortable lane because of the risk of starting your own business. And to your point, I I know so many people with great ideas who are fantastic at what might be in the arts or it might be in the entertainment industry, but their thought process is always around money and yeah. I don't believe I can generate enough or I don't have the ability to or I don't have enough in the bank account now to take that risk. Yeah. So the almost lane is one that I'll sort of just stick with for the moment and then hopefully something changes down the down so the hopefully something changes is the most critical piece in the almost lane. Yeah. If we want to and and I've done it, I've moved into the right lane and in, into the lane that I absolutely love, but I believe that if you want to move into that lane, you actually have to start now. And that is the reading of the books, it's connecting with the right people, it's getting the mental whatever it might be whatever path you feel is best, but it's you have to start doing something little right now. I couldn't agree more because it's that even the tiny little baby steps of, okay, so if I was to move into my right lane, what would that feel like? What would that look like? What would a day be like? Mm. Um, and as you say, reading books and doing things like if, if, if the right lane is starting business, which I don't always think it is, but if it is, what would I – call it and let me do some back of the envelope. This is what I did actually when I stepped out of management consulting. I did some back of the envelope calculations on what do I need to pay the mortgage because we had two mortgages um, and two kids under three and my now ex-husband wasn't uh, bringing in a regular salary. So it really was this 
what are you doing? And I would say that the choices I'm most proud of in my life are when people around me would have, they were too polite probably to say it, but some of them would have been thinking, she is absolutely being an idiot. She's on a good (laughs) wicket here, but I didn't want a, a good wicket. I wanted the right lane. Yeah. I had the same I had the same comments thrown my way. I worked for government in a very very well-paid government role. Yeah. And and took the step out. Yeah. Uh, and, and coming from an Italian background whose family who what security is a family value, right? Yeah. Being safe and I think it's hard because our, our preference particularly the preference of the amygdala, which is this part of the brain that's all about our safety and security and staying small and and safe. Our preference is to have this 12-point plan that we know exactly what's going to happen and in five years it looks like this and in two months you're guaranteed to pay the mortgage and it never happens that way. Um, And I know for me if I look back five years ago, there's no way I would have thought I'd be here. Agreed. And... I also know that we've got this um, almost this myth in in our society that that says we need to be focusing on fixing our weaknesses and getting better at our weaknesses instead of going actually what are my strengths and how can I maximize those and I know for me when you start to I always think when you start to play to your strengths and maximize them you that's where you become world class and that's where you find your lane and that's when the money starts to flow so i know if i'd stayed in my almost lane in terms of financial security i would have made a, a good living but i actually think i'm met it, making a much better one now and it's not just a living it's a life and it just lights me up fantastic speak singing in front of <laughs> 53000 yeah people yeah so you singing career previously um, I'm always hesitant to call it a career because I did it through uni. Okay. So it kept me afloat. I did all the way from when I was six um, to when my business got too busy. Um, and I've just started singing again for the first time actually since the Stones concert, oh, wow. funnily enough. Um, but I, I'm also hesitant because I see these people doing really cool things in music, in, in rock and pop and, and jazz, and, and I was in classical music okay. and folk music. And oh, wow. they're not particularly – I love them, but they're not particularly sexy. Um, but, yeah, I, I spent my young adulthood touring Europe and the US and um, we did a bit in Asia and Australia going around and, and singing in chamber ensembles mostly. Uh, and it's it was just a delight. I loved it. Was that not your lane then? <sighs> that is such a good question. <laughs> that was so. It, mm, it's funny. I this. It, oh, it's such a good question. I get excited <laughs> because even though I'm passionate about everyone finding their lane. I also think we don't want to over niche, and this is I'm, yeah. I'm, this is two paradoxical positions, which is apparently <laughs> the ability to hold that is apparently the definition of maturity. Um, but I do think from a from a, a purpose perspective, a career perspective, being in your lane and knowing what that is is so wonderful. But I, I'm also aware that yes, I'm a, a speaker and a facilitator of leadership programs, but I also write poetry and I sing and yeah. I love to grow vegetables. We are human beings. Mm. So from a career perspective, I think it's wonderful to say, here are my strengths, here's my purpose, here's my lane. But from a life perspective, I think we need to be exploring anything that gives us that sense of 
oh, I'm, I'm being refueled. Um, and singing for me has always been part of that. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, I agree. You don't, ha- you don't have to be, or the lane doesn't need to be business only, right? The, the music part for you is a lane that you enjoy in your personal time. It's a parallel lane. Correct. And it's so interesting because I, I do think the, the corporate world, I'm thinking LinkedIn versus Instagram, for instance. Yeah. On Instagram, I will, I'll publish the occasional poem. Um, and I, I um, when I, I journal, I'll sometimes ch- uh, channel my older self or my higher, wiser self, and I'll share some musings. And I was, even though I pride myself on authenticity and making brave choices, I struggled to put that up on LinkedIn because it's like, well, no, you need to see me as a very mm. serious yeah. um, business person. I'm corporate. <laughs> yes. And, and we, I, I think that's actually one of the reasons organisations are struggling at the moment is they're not evolving with humanity. Humanity has evolved, sometimes it doesn't look like it, but humanity has evolved tremendously and corporations are still using this 1980s, 1990s way of working and sometimes 1950s style of leadership to lead these humans who are wanting freedom, authenticity, courage, creativity, and they're not getting it through work, which is why we've got the great resignation. So actually I, I ended up publishing a poem on LinkedIn just going, ah. Published and, we'll, we'll, and, and we'll, went well. I, I think so. My my posts on public speaking do better. But yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, it's and it's not about how well it did, but it's it was it was something for me <laughs> to go. No, I'm a poet. In You've my just spare created time. a new lane. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking of right now? Have you ever seen the TV, the movie Inside Out? I love that. Movie. It's one of the my best. kids love it too. It's actually one of my favorite. Yeah. Do you story. cry at the end? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Authenticity, Daniel. <laughs> I have shed a tear. Absolutely. I it because anyway, I'm not gonna go into why I shed a tear, but it's more the what went through my mind right now. In that movie, you had the yellow ball that was yes. joy, the yes. blue ball, which was sadness, the the red ball, which was anger. But I'm kind of thinking they're the memories that you're creating and the enjoyment that comes from those memories and mm. which is I'm looking at them as lanes, so to speak, I don't know, in a roundabout way. I feel yeah. like it all works in the same sort of way anyway. I think it does too. Yeah. yeah. The singing piece, do you believe that helped you in your speaking career? Yes, I really do. And I was only reflecting on this a little while ago, perhaps because I have gone back to singing after um, a fair bit of a break, that – there is something about when you get up and perform, you have to engage. There's no excuse for not engaging and you have to take um, your audience on a, on, on a journey of light and shade and you have to leave your problems at the stage door. Um, and I, I do think a lot of speakers will, they've got great content but they're not they're not putting on an authentic show for their people. So they're, 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 they lack stagecraft. So I think for me there was something about the singing um, and also the ability to use my voice. So I never worry about losing my voice or anything like that because I've got the training. But there was something about learning stagecraft early and also w- when I get up on stage I kind of go, oh, I've done this before. I've been mm. doing this since I was little. It, it used you, to freak me out a, a little but now yeah. I feel comfortable, yeah. It's your home. Yeah. Okay. Now, the speaking bit is an area of interest. You're you're an award-winning or prize-winning um, speaker. Mm. We'll 
get into that for one sec, but I want to actually talk about the process of getting up and speaking. It's something that I'm interested in. It's something that we do. We get up. Did you train yourself in the speaking game, not the singing game? You had that, the sound and the the understanding of how to hold yourself, but you learned from from singing. What did you do to become a better speaker? Oh, what a great question! And I, I actually, for many years, I, I taught public speaking, um, and I know the techniques I've learned. Um, but for me, I, <laughs> I need to paint a picture that the very first workshop I delivered was four hours long and I was so terrified <laughs> that I learnt it word for word oh, wow. because I was so scared the right words wouldn't come out. So a, a big part of what I learned was around firstly hooking the audience in at the start with the what's in it for them so that they're listening but secondly structuring it so that and even if I've, I've got a, a three-hour masterclass or a one-hour keynote you'll only see me with five dot points or so because I, I realised that it needs to be structured beautifully so the audience knows exactly where you're going. But then the, the joy is in being present and allowing what wants to come through to come through and mm. that's where you have engagement. So I definitely learned that. I learned how to, um, if not conquer, then certainly minimise my fear by talking to that little voice in my head that says you're going to wee your pants, Gemma. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you're going to fall over. Yeah. You're going to completely stuff up. Um, is there a judgment thing in there as well that they're not going to like what I'm saying? I, it's so interesting. So that still follows me. I think we all have this thing, this, this voice in our head um, that will say you're not good enough or you don't have anything of value to offer. And it happened when I did the talk at, at Google headquarters um, and then it happened just recently I gave a, a talk with Dr Terry Sweeney at Amazon uh, to some of the top leaders in South Australia, including the Premier, and there's still, even though I know what I do is valuable, there's still that voice of, oh, they're going to have heard it all before. Or, And it was interesting, um, Terry and I caught up for coffee afterwards and he said, do you know, when I thought that I knew there was going to be a motivational speaker there and I don't think he'll mind me telling this story. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought, eh, probably just more, let's get you inspired stuff that I have heard before. But he was really surprised and he took a lot away in terms of making brave choices, which is the, the topic. And I figure if Terry can take away something around making brave choices with the number of brave choices he's made. So for me, it's actually, I just now watch that little voice in my head and just go, oh, honey, like I get it. I know why you're there. You don't want me to get up and that's okay, but I'm actually in the driver's seat right now and I know what I have to say is, is of value. Um and is, is that the amygdala? Yes, it's the brain amygdala, exactly, or the lizard us, brain. The lizard brain. The it's, lizard brain. It's telling us that don't get up because you might fail. That's right. It, it's the whole point of the lizard brain is to keep you safe and small and hidden. And so getting up and speaking is the opposite of that. So every time the lizard brain is going to do a version of freaking out. Um, and I always say the lizard brain, it's so, it's amazing because the lizard brain will tell you that you are terrible at what is actually your greatest strength. So the kindest people in the world have a lizard brain that says you are such a selfish cow <laughs> and the smartest people in the world have a lizard brain that will say to them you're not smart enough because how brilliant yeah. if you if your lizard brain can convince you that you are never going to get good at the thing that you are absolutely the best at, then you will stay. You will never meet your potential. Yeah. You will stay small and hidden. Yeah. But 
even though it's sophisticated in that way, it's not sophisticated enough to be able to tell the difference between, oh my God, there's a saber-toothed tiger and a slightly confronting work situation. So yeah. even getting up to speak or ask a question, yeah. I know a lot of people get tongue-tied asking a question at a conference and it's not life-threatening, but the lizard brain doesn't know that. Mm. And so it makes you sweat and shake and palpitate, your, your heart palpitate. And it's really unpleasant, but there are ways around it. And I, I do a lot of teaching of that. Yeah, can you give us one tip? So yeah. for... Oh, Actually, let's wait on that tip. Sure. But the lizard brain is the first brain that we evolved from, right? Mm -hmm. And we've had two other parts that have grown and we've evolved over time. How did we ever evolve if this thing was holding us back all the time? Uh, I don't have the neurological answer for that. No, that's I a have deep more question. of a philosophical <laughs> answer. In your opinion. In my Les opinion. <laughs> expert opinion. I, I think we are we – are, we're programmed to do this, to expand and contract, expand and contract, and, and we grow and then we go <gasps> and we go back in our shells a bit. But I also think we're programmed to, um, to keep growing and to keep seeking and to keep progressing and because that's actually what gives us the joy. Mm. So we don't like the discomfort of it, but we do like the joy of it and the outcomes of it. Mm. So even when the lizard brain is going, you can't do that, there's a part of us that goes, Actually, yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. And and the more we can learn to listen to that part, and I think we do listen to that part, and we then have experience listening to that part and going, that worked. And, yes, it was scary, but I'm so glad I did it, the more we can keep pushing and leaning into that discomfort. Excellent. Now, we were talking about what you did to become a better speaker. Yes, way back <laughs> seven years ago. <laughs> we went down a rabbit hole. So – what what did what is a tip that, that you potentially could actually no I skipped over we were going to talk about what is a tip to control the lizard brain yeah. and then and then we can move back up that rabbit hole yeah what will we what would be a way where we can control because I find that something that I really struggle with or the yeah. imposter syndrome just screams at me I, I have the ability to fight it yeah and and move through it but my body doesn't <laughs> like my body just stays in that moment and then my brain is working in a different frequency. Yeah. So can I ask you, Daniel, and just to be really vulnerable here in front of Go everyone. I've been there a few times. Gab's is getting the tissues ready. <laughs> <laughs> just in case, Gab's. <laughs> um, when that part of your brain says nasty things to you, what sorts of things does it say? I don't know if they're nasty. Mm -hmm. I I would say it's it is definitely actually I'll rephrase this. I feel like my lizard brain kicks in more so when I don't know the topic as well as I believe I should know the topic. Yes. And so if if you're tuning into what it's saying to you, so obviously you have a feeling of fear and inadequacy. Well, lack Inaccuracy and lack of preparation is always yes. a big one that once, yeah. And and what's it, does it actually have a voice? Does it start talking to you? Like I can't believe you, you're not prepared enough. What does it say? Yeah, I would say you're not prepared enough is definitely in there. Um, people are going <laughs> to, people are going to notice yeah. something about you. Um, well, people are going to think that you're not up to expertise because I think that way. Yeah. About other people. Yes. Right? Are you the sort that has high expectations of yourself and others? Correct. Okay. Are you firstborn? 
second. Okay, that's interesting. So a lot of firstborns, um, and I, I won't go too much into this, um, but one of the core beliefs that the lizard has is you're not enough. So you're not prepared enough. You're not enough to impress these people. Mm. You're not smart enough, etc. cetera. Um, and for some reason, firstborn kids tend to gravitate yeah. towards that. But it is such – so going back to what I said before of your lizard will always tell you that you are insanely bad at whatever it is that you are best at. So I know the amount of preparation you do for your podcasts. Mm. I know the amount of pride you take in your work. Your lizard is basically saying a complete porky pie to you. Mm. Well, um, we had this conversation before the podcast started, <laughs> didn't we? This exact conversation about <laughs> yeah, that's me right. not Are feeling I was yeah, I wasn't that's prepared right. enough. And I don't know anyone who has prepared as well as you have for mm. a podcast. So you can see once you start to see, oh my gosh, my lizard is actually lying. Mm. And the the reason it lies to us is because it cannot accurately think oh, saber-toothed tiger. It it makes things up to keep you small mm. to keep you hidden and to, to stop you from actually shining out into the world. So one of the, the tips I would give to you is um, to imagine your lizard as a little character. So an animal, if, if you had to guess um, or if you like gut feel, is my lizard um, uh, an animal or a human? It'd be an animal. Okay. I'm a, thinking a chameleon. Okay, great. So you've got it already. Yeah. Fabulous. Uh, is it coloured or...? It could be. It's a chameleon. It's a ca- <laughs> what a stupid question. <laughs> it has the ability to be anything. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so it's chameleon. It's sitting on your shoulder. Um, and the reason I get people to imagine their lizards as a character is it, it separates you from your lizard. So most people are fused with their lizard brain and they think their lizard brain is the font of all wisdom and all knowledge. Mm. And, of course, it's not. It's a separate part of your brain that will never give you the credit you deserve for being well-prepared um, and smart and curious and interested in all the things you actually are. Mm. Um, and and my, my second tip with the lizard is always to treat it like a beloved tantruming three-year-old. Ah, so okay. I'm sure you've had a tantruming three-year-old before. Oh. Yes. Many times. Um, I'm glad I'm through that phase, but yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, But a tantruming three-year-old, all it actually wants is to know that you're in charge and to be told that in a way that soothes the beloved tantruming Mm. three-year-old. So actually if you picture your lizard as a character and you can even give it a name and say, it's all right, mate, you're okay, I so get why you're acting up, but you don't need to. I've got this. Mm. Um, and you can feel a little um, a little bonkers having conversations in your yeah. head. But funnily enough, as soon as you actually picture your lizard going. You're acknowledging it, aren't you? That's right. And mm. you're making it feel safe as opposed to going, shut up, mm. which is when the tantruming three-year-old has a little bit of a, a more of a tantrum. It's a, I'm, my, I'm, my brain is going a million miles per hour now because we, we literally have this conversation before every single podcast. Gab's like, how are you going? How are you feeling? I said, I'm not prepared. <laughs> I'm not prepared. And she goes, Dan, you say that every time. You said it this morning. You say yeah. this every time. So You're not prepared. Gab's, now the question is, Dan, <laughs> is that your lizard talking? And Dan will go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. is. So now you, your job now is to hold me accountable, <laughs> which is great. I need that. Okay. We've solved my problems in this conversation. Thank you. And watch out, world. Here I come now. Um, 
Let's talk back to the speaking. I really mm. want to learn some of the tips and tricks on becoming a better speaker. Yeah. Those who listen to this podcast, are, 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 there's a lot of um, leaders who listen to the podcast, so they're always looking in ways to improve their speaking. Can you – a couple of tips and tricks on how to become a better speaker. I can. So the first one is to take – time to figure out the what's in it for your audience. Okay. So um, a lot of people will just start talking and they will speak from what's exciting them and what they know as opposed to going, what do my audience want to know? And as soon as you've got the what's in it for them, the whiff it, it's amazing. And, and you can you, sometimes you need to spend 20, 30 minutes on it. And when you get it, you know. And the question to know that you ask yourself to know if you've got it is do I give a shit? If I'm standing in my audience's shoes and I hear I'm talking about this today from a speaker, does the audience go, oh, I have to listen? It's amazing. When you actually hone in on that, you get even more excited about what you're going to say and the structure of your presentation reveals itself. It's like, okay, if that's what's in it for them, then what I need to talk about is this and this and this. And then you avoid the horrendous thing of death by PowerPoint where you just have to keep skipping through slides because you've put yeah. way too much detail in it. Yeah. You cut down on your content um, and you get excited to be there so your nerves go. So that is like a keystone trick yeah, that you okay. can that you can use. The other thing I would say and so I So sorry, the, yeah. the nerves go from the simple fact that you're trying to please. Is that what you're saying? Not trying to please. The the lizard that tends to say to us you're not good enough and um, you've got nothing of value to offer, that's so much quieter when we're, we have that realisation of they need to know this. This is actually going to be really useful for them. So it's like we get ourselves out of the way. Okay. Most speakers, not most speakers, there are a lot of people and it's so understandable when we speak we make it about ourselves because we are terrified. But actually if you can, when you find the whiff it, it's all about the other person and it's like you don't matter anymore. So whenever I speak it's not about me. Yes, I'm rocking up as my authentic self but it's about how can I serve this yeah. audience. And then the other thing I would say, and I've, I've, I've got probably 12 tips that I'd love to share with you, but just in terms of another quick one is to make sure you're engaging them with your eyes from the get-go. So actually look each of them. If there are 300, it's hard. Yeah. But look as many people in the eyes and hold eye contact because when you do that, suddenly you're just having a conversation. It's like you're with your mates at a pub and it becomes authentic as opposed to scanning and performing so a lot of people come up and it's like I need to be veneered off, rounded out, absolutely pitch perfect, but then you lose all sense of humanity and authenticity. Mm. So if you can just have a conversation with your eyes making contact with the others. Yeah, it makes the difference. And it's amazing because even if you reach only 20 people in your, your talk and there are 100 people in the audience, the other 80 know that you are connected and they're connected with you. I don't know how it works, but it does. Yeah, there's something about being in the same room with people. Do you find that the online world that we find ourselves in now, do you struggle more so online than what you do speaking in, in person? I prefer this – well, do you know, I'm, I'm possibly a bit of a strange breed. Being an introvert, I quite like being yeah. at home in my uggies um, and my <laughs> elasticized pants um, and looking at a, a camera and I have – the, another thing for, for speakers is to learn the art of looking at a green in my light, a green light on my in my sorry my life, a green light in on my Mac, and actually engaging with that as if it's a person. Okay. Um, but 
there is something about being with a crowd and feeding off their energy um, and you giving your energy, you feel the exchange more. What I would say is online, I never use slides because people switch off. So it's just yeah. me. Okay. Um, and I think that does make a bit of a difference. Do you manage your, so we're moving to the online world, which yeah. I didn't actually have prepared. <laughs> Do, do you manage your uh, timeframes different from an online point of view? So if you are running a program? Yes, there's more. So if I'm doing a keynote, I will be getting um, the I, – I don't like just talking at an audience. So if I'm running a keynote in person, I will be getting the audience to have some interaction between themselves. Um, and then at the end I'll allow time for Q&A when I'm doing – online uh, keynotes or masterclasses, it's actually about interacting as a group via the chat function or unmuting. So there's actually a lot more uh, because I, what I don't want to do is wait for Q&A till the end. So th there's a lot more checking in who's got questions so I can make sure everyone's engaged and actually setting them very clear tasks. Now I'd like you to write down this. Now like so they're, they're, they've got things to do. It's not just a matter of being at home and you could check your email and no one would know. Yeah, that's great. Do you – the – We've had a previous – in a previous podcast a couple of weeks ago, we had a gentleman by the name of Vin Jang on the show. Mm -hmm. He's an international keynote speaker. Mm. He uh, travels the world and um, he's a magician that turned keynote speaker. So he's got this really unique style. Very, cool. Very entertaining podcast. He talked about sitting in front of a camera yeah. and practicing in front of a camera. Do you suggest that as an, uh, an – I absolutely well. do yeah. and you feel like a nincompoop. Yeah. You feel like an absolute numpty. But if you can watch yourself back and the idea is I, I always picture it as one of my best friends or and, yeah, okay. and or even <laughs> one tip I give is if your kids are running up to you, so for those who've got kids or who've got young kids in their lives and you come home or you go to their house and they run up the hall to you, it's like, mummy, daddy, yeah. you don't greet them with a, Oh, hi, honey. Yeah. You greet them with a, oh, hi. And it's that energy in the eyes that we need to capture when we're on video. Okay. And if you can record yourself and then watch that back, you'll see if you've got it or not. As opposed to completely dead eyes yeah, where it's okay. like, yeah, I'm here, but no one's really home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Lighting up leaders yeah. now is the world that you are, are embarking on and you say you found your lane and and yeah. all things all things great are happening for you. Tell us about what you're doing there and, and sparking people's lives and, yeah. and helping them break down some bad habits and limiting beliefs. You've already got one, rid of one of mine. So <laughs> so let's let's talk more about that. Maybe we can work on it. Maybe we can make this a therapy session <laughs> today. That could work. See what else we can work on. Um I yeah. The, the concept of lighting up leaders came to me because for a few years now, ever since um, the upheaval of leaving a marriage and selling my business and actually going, what is it I'm here to do? I kept picturing everyone I met as this beautiful, shining lamp. And there were lamps of different sizes and different colors um, and different shapes, but all of them had this gorgeous lamp that was shining and always shining. And then I also pictured that over most people's lamps, there were just these dusty blankets or dust and debris that had been thrown over them um, 
throughout the years. So it could be an old story that you've been telling yourself since you were seven years old or a belief that's really holding you back or a behavior that you want to shift but you just can't shift. These blankets kind of get in the way of our light. Um, and I, the, the number one thing I'm seeing in workplaces across the world is everyone is so overwhelmed in, in terms of time, um, stress, exhaustion. They are on this hamster wheel of overwhelm and too many things on their to-do list and too many meetings that there's not that much time to remove the blankets or to work out how to remove the blankets. And over the years, people have forgotten that there is that light within them that's never switched off. And for me, for whatever reason, I seem to have this ability to help um, awaken such a, a bit of a naff word, but to help people go, oh, I do have that light in me. It ha it was there all along. It's and the aha moment. Yes, yeah. the aha moment. Um, and that just that aha, aha moment alone causes ridiculously fast and easy and joyful transformation, which is kind of the game I'm in. But on top of that, what I love to give people with is, leave people with, beg your pardon, is practical tools and tricks. Um, it's like a, a suite of tools that they can use to identify what are the blankets that are holding me back and how do I shed those blankets so that light can shine? And then how do I want to shine my light so that I go, oh, I reach the end of my life going, that was my life and I'm so lit up and I feel so lit up by it, but also so that I can spark the light in others. And when you start sparking the light in others, and you can imagine this in an organizational setting, and most of the time I'm working with corporates or entrepreneurs, it's like the domino effect of boom, 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 boom. Yeah. and the, 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 the result is um, large-scale culture change, but it's actually done one individual heart and mind at a time. Hmm. The, the blankets theory, is it like an onion where you peel off one blanket at a time or can you just grab the one from the bottom? And <laughs> I, I think it can be both. I know that grabbing the one from the bottom and they all go, that can actually be really tough. So yeah. some people have spontaneous awakening moments yeah. or, or some uh, grief happens in their life and it just all goes. Um, I think the gentler form is to go, ah, there's another blanket. Ah, there's another blanket. Yeah. Um, but I, I know you can do both. So I'm a leader of an entrepreneur startup and I've come to you and I say, Dr. Gemma, I need some help. I've got some limiting beliefs. Yeah. Is that a conversation or, or, or do you just – how does one embark on working with you? So it, it's, it's really interesting. I used to do individual coaching. Okay. I don't anymore because what lights me up is actually creating that ripple effect on scale. Okay. So it's this weird paradoxical thing where I'm waking up individuals um, I was once called the chief awakening officer. That's kind of my, <laughs> my role in life. But I'm helping uh, people see their own individual spark, but I'm working with groups to do it. And okay. that's where I get my joy as okay. well. So yeah. the conversation is, Gem, I've got a team that I want to uplift, an organization I want to uplift, an audience I want to uplift. Mm -hmm. Can you come and speak or design a leadership program to help us uplift ourselves as individuals and then have a ripple effect on the culture as well? Yeah, wow. So what would the what would one of those programs look like? So there are there are a few. I do uh, a number of keynotes. So I do a keynote on making brave choices in the midst of change. I do one on setting um, a vision and making it stick. Um, 
But in terms of how I tend to work with teams and organizations, I've got a program called Uplift Mm -hmm. that is really about uplifting an entire division, an entire organization by working with every single person in that division or organization. So it's a series of masterclasses. It's having me as a coach in your pocket to go, (gasps) I'm I'm having trouble. And then there's a a library of video logs that they can refer to when they're having an old crap moment. Um, There's a personal trajectory uh, project that people undertake and a way of um, having accountability to that. There is a retreat in the middle for those that want that sort of thing. So you can work with me for three months or 12 months. It's all about, and and, and sorry, the other thing I should say is those programs are insanely tailored to each of the individuals and the organization so that you go, here's what we want to achieve by uplifting our people. How do we get there? And then the program is tailored to make sure that's an inevitability. Sounds fantastic. The making brave choices jumped out at me when you said that so I'm just going to run with that one for the moment yeah talk to us about what you would speak about what what do you speak about in your keynote about making brave choices and and how can we all get better at making brave choices because I know you know we're talking about the amygdala and the brain and the lizard in in the mind that sounds like it's all aligned that keynote is around why we should make brave choices um and then why we don't Hmm. so we we should because actually if you look back on our lives, the things we're most proud of have always involved making a brave choice. Yeah. Um, but we don't for three reasons um, and I, I actually talk through the biology of why we don't. I talk about the fact that our, lane, our, our, lanes, our brains <laughs> are lazy um, and our bodies are fearful and our, our minds um, are terrified and I give people a series of tools that they can go away with to actually lean into that making a brave choice um, and and to train our brains and our bodies to feel less uncomfortable. It's, it's like going to the gym, you know, and, and picking up a, a weight. Um, you don't do it once and go, my biceps are done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I give people the I tools people to, that. <laughs> to over time learn that making a brave choice is actually it feels wonderful. Uh, and my daughter, she's just about to turn 11, but from the age of six, she would say to me, mommy, I'm feeling excited and terrified all at once. And that's the way I know that something amazing is going to happen. Because oh. when you've got those two things of joy and discomfort, that's where we lead our lives. Mm. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, it's making a brave choice each time. But what we want to avoid is getting to the end of our lives or even midway through our lives and having to make a ginormous brave choice because we haven't made them along the way. So that keynote's about teaching people to make the small brave choices as we go. So you do get to the end of your life and go, what a ride. And it was mine. And I felt like I, I contributed what I was here to do. Such a wise thing for a six year old slash 11 year old to say yeah she's she's a bit of a a special one I remember walking to kindy with her (laughs) she was three she said mummy it's such a beautiful world the world just loves us so much (laughs) so yeah you you just came out that way (laughs) I'm gonna can I get a signature (laughs) yeah that might be worth (laughs) she's a little guru (laughs) (laughs) might be worth something in a few years um the entrepreneurship world would mm. re- really understand what your daughter actually said and the yeah. excitement and the discomfort is every day in 
as a leader in business, I should actually not just entrepreneurs, but leaders in business, yeah. it is a uncomfortable position to be in. When yeah. You have people working with you and around you and whatever it might be. Why would anyone want to be a leader? Okay. So I think there are a couple of reasons there. I once saw a cartoon of um, uh, a month in the life of an entrepreneur or a leader. And I've never seen anything more accurate and I just need permission to swear so I can – Go for you. That's all right. We so had I, one I, podcast that it was every, every single really? word. Really? I won't shoot. <laughs> but if you've got kids around, I am about no, to swear. No, it's fine. Um, We're all adults here. They, it, they had this series of uh, pictures of this – I think it was a little mouse – and at the top of the picture on most days he was going, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And then occasionally there was a hell yeah, <laughs> oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Yeah. And that's why we do it. It's for the hell yeah moments. Yeah, they are intoxicating. They are. Um, and I also think in terms of being a leader, there is something about being the architect of other people's careers or something you're building into the world that makes a difference in the world that you look back on and go, okay, I actually did make a difference. And that doesn't feel necessarily intoxicating, but it feels good and and right and um, meaningful and fulfilling. Mm. I think there's a really big reason why I started my own business was I was so unenthused about yeah. leadership in general and the way people were treated. I have a, a, a government background. I have a private and government background, I should say, and I never really found the mould that was exciting. Yeah. So I remember the, the one of the first reasons why I started the business was to create a world that – well, to create a business that people wanted to work for, right, yeah. and where they could come and be themselves um, and really feel part of the team and, and, and be noticed and all the above. And I might not always get that right, but I think that, that is the most exciting thing. You create a, a community of like-minded people coming together and – just trying to do some great in the world. It, it's wonderful and, and I, I love your mission of, of making sure, and I won't have the wording right, but making sure people feel safe in yeah, the workplace. Um, and And part of safe is feeling like you can be who you are, you can rock up as yourself. And there are so many workplaces where you do feel like you have to put on an armour to come into work and you never, first of all, that's exhausting mm. because pretending to be other than who you are is incredibly tiring. But secondly, you're never going to get discretionary effort or that sense of where that that sense of we-ness, you know, we're we're working together on mm. something amazing. That when I when I look back, um, those those moments where you're in a team and doing something amazing together, that that is an oh hell a hell yes hell moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of oh fuck yeah moments going on <laughs> every day is uh, I think we experience one of those. Mm. The, the the question around leadership then for me becomes if if entrepreneurs are starting businesses and, you know, everyone's got their own drivers, whether it be money, trying to change the world, mm. there's new technology, everyone is at their own different level of leadership, some who have no idea what good leadership looks like, some who know there are some gurus out there who everyone aspires to be like and wants to work under, mm. all the above. Why is it in the, that the majority of people are poor at leadership? I, I think social learning theory has something to do with it mm. where so many of us have had poor leaders and then we get into leadership positions and go, oh, well, that's how it should be done. Mm. 
And even if we have a vision of doing it differently, if we're in a culture where that's how things are done and that's how you're rewarded, it's really hard to break out of that. It's, you know, our minds are open limbic systems, which means our moods are contagious and ways of working are contagious. And if you're in a system that doesn't actually allow you to lead the way you do, it takes a lot of effort to create a new pathway and do that. Yeah. So we've um, built... We've built bad habits on the back of other people's bad habits? We've built bad habits on the back of other people's bad habits, absolutely. And um, current workplaces, the way they're set up, tends to be around back-to-back meetings, putting out fires, um, not having time to think strategically about the kind of leader you want to be or how you want to develop your people. It's just get into work, 10 hours of overwhelm, and then wind down with Netflix and wine at the end and then repeat, you yeah, know, ad nauseum. Yeah. So, yes, it's about um, writing off the back of others' bad habits of the leaders that came before us, but I also think we are time poor and we're not taking that time to actually or we're not able to, to take that time to focus on what sort of leaders do we want to become. Do you feel like it's a big part of it is also – Actually, it probably it, it backs up to what you're saying and, and, and the social proof of, of what's come before us. Yeah. We don't actually know what great leadership is. Yeah. And, and, and what a great leader does. Um, and that's why it's poor. It's not so much that um, these people want to be bad leaders or they want to be poor leaders, I should say, as opposed to bad, poor leaders. Yeah. It, again, it's a, it's a paradox because I think there is – an abundance of leadership literature out there that says yeah. do this, do that, do this, do that. So yeah. sometimes it's actually overwhelming. Yeah. And I, I think because of that you've got passionate people trying to emulate people who are 100 miles from who they are as a person. Mm. So part of being a good leader is actually that reflection time of, yes, I know, I've, I've done my research, I know this works, but if I was to ask myself what do I look like as an ideal leader, if others were to be led by me, how would I lead them in a way that sparks them but is also true to who I am as a person? Mm. And these are deep and complex questions that take time and like I am saying before, um, we can be time poor. Yeah. So. It, to me, leaders, we do we, we promote people up the ranks and we never give them the chance to spend quality time on what sort of leader are you? What is the leadership legacy you want to leave? What is the, the how do you want people to feel after they have been led by you? What do you want them to achieve after they've been led by you? Those questions are all important and we're not asking ourselves them. Mm. Yeah, so true. Mm. How do you want them to feel? Mm. After they've been led by you, that's a great one. Your talk about visioning, yeah, and then because well, we do a lot in that visioning space as well, and, and you and I have talked about vision. I think we're very aligned with you know wanting the world to be fulfilled, inspired, safe, all the above. Mm. You then help businesses set that in motion by working on their mission and their piece within the puzzle. Can we talk about the so the visioning piece? Yeah. So most of the time, and, and I have worked with businesses. I've, I've got a wonderful friend, Mia Hanchen, and we collaborate to help businesses set a leadership vision um, or a vision for the business, and I, I love to help people on that. Um, I also love to help individuals set a vision that uh, completely lights yeah. them up. And I think a lot of times, so whether it's a business vision or 
um, a personal vision, the, the same thing applies. We will get into a space of, right, I need to set a vision now and our brains are in beta mode and we're in analytical mode and what yeah. we end up with is a commonsensical, okay, so this is the logical next step for me. But actually the sort of vision that inspires us is the one that you think this is only 20% doable, mm. but oh my gosh, can you imagine if this came true? Well, it's the BHAG, right? What's the, oh, yeah, the big, hairy, audacious yeah, goals, yeah. yes. I used to call them goals, giant, outlaid, outrageous, liberating dreams. Uh, yeah. um, yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so the way I work with people, and I just did this uh, exercise with Force 40, which I know you know of, the, yeah. the top 40, under 40 in South Australia, where we, I, I got them into alpha brainwaves, into that creative anything is possible state. Um, and, and then it becomes about asking great questions and removing the, the beliefs that it has to look like this because our visions are often um, based around what we think other people expect of us or society expects of us. But the question is, if I felt no fear, what would life look like? What would work be like? If I knew I would be paid X amount of dollars per annum, as in the ideal amount, what would I be doing with my time? Um, what would make life and work awesome? And if you can ask those questions in a place where um, you are connected and your brainwaves are slightly quieter, that more that beautiful alpha brainwaves, then the answers just come to you. Mm. And it's hard not to edit and go, oh, my, who am I to think I could mm. do that? But the answers that come are the ones that make your belly just set itself on yeah. fire in a good way. There's a lot of self-judgment in that space, I think. I've, well, I've done something similar and I remember going, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You know, it, it, maybe I haven't really hit the phase that you're talking about and had the flow, been in the flow state. I, I think you can do both. I think you can watch your brain. So it goes back to watching that lizard. You can watch your brain go, oh, yeah, okay, of course you're thinking those thoughts. That's mm. your job. But actually I'm just going to ignore you for now mm. because this is all about visioning. And then um, the, one of the keys, like I said before, was to give yourself permission for it to only feel 20% doable and you set yourself that task. Yeah, and then the other thing you do is once you've got this, as Martha Beck says, this big eagle vision, you then translate that into mouse steps so you don't freak your brain out, mm. you don't freak your fears out. Yes, you've got a big vision and you look at it now and then, but the next question is what's the next right step? What's the tiny next right step that I can take? Yeah, the one percenters, we work on the one percenters every day. The, yeah. the small habits mm. turn them into big habits. Mm. I am interested in the visioning piece from, from an internal point of view is there – so we set this, you know, the BHAG and, and the goal, that you know, this great, great vision. How do we know those individual small steps? Mm. How do we become self-aware enough? How do we get enough curiosity? How do we learn the behaviours that will help us get to that vision? I think it's two things and – Again, they seem opposite, but I think doing both is where the power is. Mm. So the first thing is actually a very structured, logical way of tackling this, which is at the start of each day to have a series of questions you ask yourself. So I, I take balcony time at the start of each day and I'll, re I'll re review my vision and I'll just ask myself what's one tiny step I can take today to move towards it. And for me, 
I've, I've learned my yes sign. So in my body, when I think about the right thing, it's like, is this the right thing? My um, uh, heart expands and my shoulders drop mm. and I feel relaxed. It's like, yeah, that's it. Versus my no sign is my shoulders tense up mm. um, and my stomach uh, constricts. So I, I use my body as a compass for, if, is that right? Yeah. The other thing is... Do you do that with everyday scenarios or big absolutely decisions? Absolutely, yeah. both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So even even what what do I want for dinner tonight is a, oh, yes, and ooh, no. Yeah. So I use it all the I've time. I've said this on a, pre- po- a previous podcast before. This uh, I've, Tim Ferriss, have you heard of Tim? Yes. Yeah. So he has a model and he says it's either fuck yeah or it's a no. <laughs> and then, But one that I heard recently, Michelle, who is my business partner, her mm. son has this little spinny wheel on his thing, on his phone like as an app, right? Yeah. And the spinny wheel is a yes, no. And you spin it and whatever it lands on, it's yes, no. But his process is if you, while it's spinning and you're saying, please be no, please be no, please be no, that just tells you the answer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, hey. Or it lands on a yes, you're like, damn. Yeah, correct, right? <laughs> so I feel like yeah. it's just. Brilliant. You, you intuitively know what you want to do and that yeah. your body language would tell you that. But I thought that was such a brilliant idea from it's an 18-year-old. So good. And, and what happens is we make, we've been taught to make our decisions, decisions from the neck up. Yeah. And actually the best decisions are made from the neck down mm. because from the neck up you're going to be focused on justification and fear and security and making sure you don't look like an idiot. But from the neck down your body knows, your body literally moves towards what's best for it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say in, in terms of what's the next right step, sometimes you can just leave it up to the universe. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a really specific, slightly mundane example. Um, I had a friend, I don't know if you know Tyron Brumfit, but she, I, I do, yes, I do know. Yeah, that, yeah. she's she's a dear friend of mine and the founder of Body Image Movement. Yeah, she's, yes. She's yeah. Done the, she's done, has she done a few TV specials and movies? Uh, and but, yeah, yeah, so correct, she's, yeah, she's doing her second movie, which means I haven't yeah. seen her in six months and we're catching up. It'll be a hug fest <laughs> next yeah. week. Um, but one morning she said to me, Jem, you have to get on Clubhouse. And I had no idea what Clubhouse yeah. was. So I looked it up. Obviously, it's a social media, what do you call it, platform? Yes. Um, and I, then don't I, have, I don't have an Apple phone. I can't get on there. <laughs> really? You have to have Apple? I did not it's know It's only this. Apple. Yeah. Ah. It drives me insane. That's bonkers. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> anyway, in my research, I didn't find out you could only have Apple, but I did find <laughs> out that um, you have to get an invitation to yes. join. And so I was in a really relaxed state. I think I was cooking dinner for the kids and I was sort of in a bit of a meditative state. And I I asked the question, I wonder what it would take to get an invitation to Clubhouse. And within a few minutes, my phone pinged and it was my friend Arkella uh, with a message, Gem, I've got an invitation to Clubhouse for you. For some reason, it had your name written all over it. So there is something about setting an intention or a vision or a goal and being in a relaxed state and having the space to listen to the text messages that come in or the book that lands on your lap yeah. or the small still voice within, having that space and being quiet enough in your brain to notice when they come in, sometimes the next right step appears right in front of you. Yeah, I agree. I, have you ever read The Alchemist? Oh, yes, years ago, but I should read it where, again. Where it's all about omens and being open to the omens and, yeah. and, and noticing them. I've had a similar story where I was um, – I think I was in the throes of of thinking about moving out into my own business world and mm. and and also starting the pod, like wanting to get into podcasting and stuff like that. 
and um, it was all it all happened. So the story about the podcast is I thought about the podcast from a, a very very early point. It wasn't until we hired Gabs that it actually happened, right? So go Gabs, <laughs> yeah, uh, which was a, a year or so into the business. The one day I was driving and I, I'd been invited. I reached out to an old friend that we used to play cricket together and I reached out to him because he was running a podcast, him and um, James Begley and Andrew Montessi, they ran a podcast called Rooster Radio. They no longer do it because mm-hmm. Andrew's moved into the US. But they invited me along to a live podcast that they were doing with the Adelaide 36ers captain. Yeah. And I remember driving and I was like, oh, I really want to learn more about this podcasting stuff. Um, and I remember driving to work that morning and I was like, mm, I'm not going to go. Like I, I was really not feeling it. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. And I actually at that point in the car on the way, I went, no, I'm not going. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I've got too much on all of the above. And then this car cut me off, right, on the road. This car cut me off and I slammed on my brakes and then like he put up his hand and waved, sorry, didn't notice, whatever. But on the back of his car he had the Adelaide 36s sticker, like basketballs. Yeah. And I just went, what the hell, all right, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> and I reckon that was a pivotal moment where I uh, noticed this omen, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and I went, had a ball developed this relationship, learned a hell of a lot about podcasting and whatnot in that same process and, yeah, and it all just sort of went from there. And and to me, and I love that story, to me that when you're living um, in a place where your mind is is quiet, where you're taking space to listen, those things happen all the, the time. time it's just that we're, we're not present enough or quiet enough to notice them. It's, it's how I met my partner. I woke up to a voice in my head saying, go to this restaurant and he yeah, was there. Wow. Um, and then it's how uh, we got into Elevate 61. A voice in my head said, listen to the – put on the 7.30 report. And I didn't even know it was it was 7.35 at the time. I put it on and it was information about the program. So I do think one of the things leaders assume is that we need to be structured and very busy and important but actually taking space to go, okay, what's going on? And What's what's next for me? It comes to us. We don't have to hustle and push for it. We just get a, get out of our own way and let it flow in. Yeah, so good. Mm. Oh, we could talk about this forever, <laughs> but we don't have time because I know that uh, you uh, have are on a very strict schedule. So we've got only a few. 10, 15 minutes or so left. So what I will do is ask one last question mm. before we get into our famous quick fire questions. What does the future of Dr. Gemma look like? Oh, um, hopefully more of the same. So I'm, I'm loving delivering keynotes and leadership programs and working with some really big businesses across Australia and um, the UK. Um, uh, next year um, I am launching a new program called Create Your Impossible Dream, which is a 90-day, it's it's a weird but wonderful cross between a mastermind, an incubator, a coaching program, um, a launching pad to help you identify and vision the impossible dream you want to create, mm-hmm. um, to get really clear on what it looks like and what you need to do to get there, and then to have a cohort of people and myself as your cheerleaders with practical tools and tricks to get your ass in a chair and get great work done and actually produce that impossible dream. So yeah. that's launching at the start of next year, and I'm super excited about that. Um, and apart from that, my my long-term 
um, giant outrageous liberating dream is to keep doing that while writing a book but then also I'd really like to be able to invest in conscious entrepreneurs um, and conscious businesses and to give them a, a training pad a launch pad to do the work they do in the world but grow as individuals at the same time so grow their businesses grow themselves but in a way that's actually aligned with who they are and what they want to achieve. Brilliant. Sounds great. Well, we've got the perfect opportunity down at Lot 14. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few. It's there, some <laughs> there's, wonderful people. Talk about startup world. Yeah. It's, it's all happening down there and I'm, mm. I'm sure Dr. Terry could introduce you to a few. I've got a few names I could throw you as well. Thank you. Beautiful. So quick fire questions. Yeah. These don't necessarily have to be bang, 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 quick fire. We can sort of deep dive into them a little bit further. But we're big readers here at yeah. Creating Synergy and Synergy IQ. Uh, I'm in love with all things books. I have a big library. We talk about books a lot on the podcast. Can you just tell me what you're reading right now? So I just finished two memoirs. Um, uh, I finished Taste by Stanley Tucci, which is journey okay. through his journey through food, which I was salivating the whole time. It yeah. is a fabulous read. Yeah, and then I great. finished Sutton Foster's memoir. She's a, a Broadway singer and it was okay. all about how creativity has helped her mental health and I found that fascinating. And so I, this morning I found myself without a book to pick up so I picked up a book of uh, Hafiz poetry. He's a, oh, okay. a Sufi yes. Persian poet from yeah. the 13th century that's always by my bed and I read a bit of poetry. Yeah, I mm. keep I keep um, letters from a Stoic by oh, my bed. I, st I still haven't read that. Haven't you? No. Oh, it's a game changer. Okay, all right. Yeah. That's my next book. Listen Thank to you. that omen if that's one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think because it, it is – it is very much about just being present and being in the moment and understanding what is real and what's not. So it's a great book. Thank but you for anyway, the tip. What is one book that you feel that stands out, like one that you would recommend or gift more so than any other? I loved, I love all of Martha Beck's books. Mm -hmm. um, she's very much in self-help but she's a Harvard-trained social scientist as well. Yeah. So she's got the academic chops. Um, and her latest book is called The Way of Integrity mm -hmm. and it's it, it it's this beautiful allegory. She uses um, Dante's Inferno to talk about how we can move towards integrity where everything works together and we're being aligned and in truth with who we are. It was a phenomenal read and yeah. a definite game changer too. Brilliant. What was it called again? The Way of Integrity. The Way of Integrity. By Martha Beck. So good. Mm. Is there any other podcasts that you listen to other than this one? Other of than course. this <laughs> one. The ones I listen to regularly are um, actually a Martha Beck podcast with her wife, Rowan Mangan. It's called Bewildered. Okay. Um, and it's about – it's a, the podcast for people who are trying to figure things out, but it's a hoot as Is well. It, it's so hilarious. It's for everyone. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> and it's like, no, I've, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I've got it sorted. Yeah. Not for those people. No need for me. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm tracking all right. Um, and I, I love um, Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, yeah. with Abby Wambach That's and, and been her sister. so many times. It's so, yeah. such a great podcast. So I, I uh, And then Esther, sorry, Esther Perel, her mm -hmm. podcast on relationships. Mm -hmm. mm. So many good ones. Mm. I need to move away from the standard uh, Joe Rogans. and Actually, the Joe Rogan one is really starting to take a big turn since he's become very commercial. I listen to it a lot less now than, than it's, what I – Do you know, it's, it's so interesting and I'm not um, – so another podcast I really like in terms of health is Stephen Cabral's co okay. podcast, Dr. Yeah. Stephen Cabral. And he's got this thing that 
white American men seem to feel the need to do. I'm mm. very much generalizing here yeah. of, and I'm going to talk like this and yeah. it's like Tony Robbins and I'm exhausted by yeah. the end of it. Yeah. So I wonder if that's why I'm listening to podcasts by women. It feels a little more authentic mm. to me anyway. Yeah. So some of those, even Tim Ferriss who's got great things to say, it's just a bit, it's all yeah. a bit posturing for me. Yeah, you're probably right. Mm. Yep. The Brene Brown Dare to Lead podcast is fabulous. She's so good. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you audio book? I don't because I'm a speed reader, so I can read uh, a book in a few hours. Oh, and wow. And it doesn't – I'm just, I'm just like, come on, What's let's get on with it. What's your trick for speed reading? Hmm? My trick, I probably – I don't even know if I have a trick. I've just always been able to do it and my daughter can do it too. But I, I know that I don't read every single word. It's like I see it and I see the whole sentence and I take it in. Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's it's super, handy. That, we've got a superhero power question coming up. That could be it. Um, <laughs> I don't I actually get back to me. I don't believe you could speed read letters from a stoic. Okay. All right. I'm so taking that on as a Good. challenge. Dan. Yeah, no, but I don't know if you'd want to because it's one of those books that you have to stop and think. And and that's one of the reasons I read poetry yeah. is because I'll catch myself speed reading poetry. Yeah. Going, Gemma, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> These yeah. are beautiful words. Take your time. Yeah, enjoy the yeah. journey of exactly. letters from a stoic. Um, if you could, oh no, what is one? This is this is a Brene Brown question. So okay. I stole it from her podcast. What is one lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? Uh. I feel like I'm finally starting to learn and, of course, this is the cue for the universe to come back and bite me in the bum mm -hmm. and say, no, you haven't, Jim. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but I feel like I'm starting to learn and it's taken me a long time, the balance between structure and flow. Mm. So actually saying here's what I want my life to look like and to structure it that way and have boundaries and to leave space for things to flow in. Um, and so I've, I've just started to move to two on-stage days a week and two off-stage days. So on-stage days are client work, things like this where, you know, I have to look mildly no, put together. Elastic, no, <laughs> no, elastic sweat. Actually, do you know what I do? <laughs> You'd never know. Um, and then two uh, off-stage days where it's about thought leadership and writing and reflecting and yeah. writing for socials and, and just and elasticized pants. And yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So structure is critical. Structure gives you – my general manager, Stacey, who's amazing, always says that structure gives you freedom. And I have rebelled against that because I do like things to feel flowy. And then other times I'm overly structured. So for me, I need both. And I think for everyone we need to work out the balance of what's the right amount of structure for us versus what's the right amount of – Yeah. I just looked at the time because I've got a thousand questions to come out of that. And I'm, oh, I'm spewing. We didn't ask this question. No. Gabs and I have actually talked about – throwing these up front because I feel like so much gold, like the yeah. quick five questions Do you want to ask front. the question that came to well, you? Well, like, like when you talk about structure, mm. a big part of that, and we've spoken about time, it's one that I grapple with. Yeah. I don't know how to manage my time because I, yeah. I am the, the a very spur of the moment person. I always have been. Yeah. I've always, if you ask any of my close friendship group is Dan makes a decision on a whim and then runs with it. If you ask anyone in the team, they will say the exact same thing. Yeah. So for me, um, how do you structure your day? And, 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 and actually saying this, dealing with you and your EA, Yes, EA Curly, on, yes. Uh, yeah, on locking you in for this time <laughs> yeah. was a struggle but it was because of the structure that's in place which, yeah. you know, kudos for that very reason. Yeah. I, 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 I 
don't, and it's probably a very, it's a horrible question, but how would you struck? How do you manage your time? Yeah, no, it's I, I love these sorts of questions. I've actually got a, a, a keynote called "Productivity is an Inside Job," oh, so okay. I, I love yes. talking about this. Um, Kiralee, that Kiralee and Stacy, their whole, they're there to, in Stacy's words, help me win and free me up to do what I do best. Mm-hmm. And so we've structured the week around what do I do best, which is making sure I'm, I'm speaking and. Um, writing um, and creating, and that's about it. Um, but for me, I have it's in my handbag, which is over there. But I've, <laughs> I've got a full. It's a beautiful system called a full focus planner. It's a journal, um, and I structure it at the start of the week. You do a weekly preview, and you work out what you want to achieve that week, and then I put it in a calendar. So my on stage days are structured. Um, it's like I've got half an hour to do this. I've got an hour to do that, so I can get as much as possible done Mm -hmm. so you'll see my whole day is planned out in chunks including a rest break which I do with a little balloon yeah (laughs) um but on my off stage days I will only allow myself to focus on one or two things and then I can just flow with it so for me when I'm structured I'm structured and when I'm flowing I'm flowing and that's the right balance for me yeah but I would say for you your strengths are probably you wouldn't want to take the spontaneity away from you Mm. because then you'd be missing a lot of the stuff and that's the bit that I grapple with yeah you know I have business coaches and all the above and they're saying Dan you need to get better with your time it's like but yeah I struggle with it and one thing you you could do is um structure the morning and then say right afternoon's my free time yeah. or something like that so you've play. got both yeah that's <laughs> right Woo-hoo, let's see what comes <laughs> so Kiralee did um and she's probably going to listen to this podcast she did ask for half an hour back and I refused to respond <laughs> to the email <laughs> that's her she's doing like, her level so, best yeah, yeah. like let's so can, call can we gem get, time back. yeah she did say that can we get some gem and want some extra time <laughs> I didn't respond, so purely apologies. It was on purpose. <laughs> um, if you could invite three people for dinner, who would they be? Oh, I don't know if it sounds boring, but I don't really care. It would be my mm. girlfriends. Yeah. So I'm I'm separated from. We, we've got a very tight uh, threesome. Um, we used to sing around the world together oh, yeah. and separated because of COVID. So I just have dinner with them or. Um, three other girlfriends, one of whom, Taryn, I just haven't seen because of the film. And it's uh, to me, I am an introvert and I can learn a lot from listening to people in podcasts, but I would rather just hang with the people I know and laugh and delve deep. Yeah. I have a core group of eight mates. Mm -hmm. Like we went through to school, through school together and we're still friends today. We actually, I I was saying to this, Gabriella, this morning, we, we actually design our lives where we live within a one-kilometer radius. Like what, two of my best mates live three houses down from me, and they live oh, next door to each other. Like that's we've the just, definition of a posse. Yeah, <laughs> so we've good. just desi- yeah, it's like the entourage <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah, we've just designed our lives where we're next to each other, and we all still get along as if we're eighteen-year-old kids running around. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Uh, what is some of the best advice that you've ever received? <sighs> To meditate, mm. to prioritize meditation mm. and to know that you're not always going to have a good session. So I've been meditating for, oh, I don't even know, 13 years, something like that. 
And there are still sessions where I get to the end of it and go, oh, well, I've planned my wardrobe for today, yeah. you know, because my yeah. mind's just been thinking. Yeah. And I think so many people don't meditate because they think they're bad at it, but that's just the nature of the do brain. You, do you use guided meditation? Or Sometimes. You, yeah. So I've, I've, as part of my morning ritual after um, exercise, um, my partner and I will make ourselves some turmeric chai and we'll go out on the porch and we'll meditate together and sometimes we feel like a guided one and sometimes we just have the timer but we use insight timer the free meditation yeah. app which is so good how do you excuse like the, the the deep diving into your own personal life i don't want to dive there but how do you do that in the morning when you've got kid drop-offs and stuff like that so we have uh, uh kids week on week off which okay. makes it easier but even with the kids there they're they're now older so we've got a blender tribe of three um 10 11 and 14 Mm -hmm. and they're pretty good at knowing what they need to do and getting ready in the morning and actually if we get involved and start micromanaging the morning goes pear-shaped anyway (laughs) so they um we get up early and exercise usually before they're um awake awake, and then they're usually having their breakfast and being sleepy and grumpy um, or the other dwarves um, (laughs) while we're out meditating and then we're there with them okay and one of us will drop so you're part of the 5 a.m club i do you know i used to be Mm. um when i before covid i was a religious f45 aholic yeah and i'd get up and go to their 5 a.m class and then i just got really tired Mm. so i wake at six okay yeah sometimes a bit later from tired yeah time machine yeah. Where, where would you go? Oh, I would I'm fascinated by the 1920s in New York mm. and and just that that opulence and not obviously not all through New York no. but the there was the, a few, the pockets. There was a few uh, Italians running around in that time. I think there might have been a few Italians. <laughs> Al Capone and and, and the Yeah. Like I'm just fascinated by the the architecture and the dress and the I'm not even a party person but the music and the yeah. parties and even the trains, I'd like to go back and, and go on a, a train travel when train travel was romantic. Yeah. It looks like fun. It does. Uh, yeah. It's not like that anymore. No. And no, the, do you know the, the no mobile phone world mm. is something that really excites me. <laughs> it's, yeah, I look at my kids and this is, I know, a, a conversation for another time, but I I feel like they're missing out on the time that we had mm. where you'd be in a car and you'd be bored but you'd just stare out the window mm. and dream. Yeah. And that's that was renewing time. Yeah. And we do make them do that but they kick and scream about it. Yeah, they do. Mm. I used to go out on my bike yeah. when I was bored and try to get lost. Like, just like, to have something to do to yeah, find your way home. Yeah, like yeah. you just literally go, all right, I'm going to just ride until I just do not know where I am. And then figure out my way to home. Yeah. And you couldn't do that these days. Well, no, it's, I don't have my – where are the maps? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Pull some up on the street. Call my mum. My daughter has those, one of those space talk watches mm. and it's got like literally got a GPS on there. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, we won't go there. If you could have one superhero power, what would it be? It would be to teleport right. so that I could go to awesome places and not have to deal with jet lag yeah. or – and quickly. Yeah. yeah. Teleportation is a favourite on this podcast. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It, it is good. Yeah. How do I do something and do it quickly? What's yours? Superhero power. Mm. I think I had said, I've said numerous times, I change on day to day, but I would like the power of knowledge. 
I feel like the who has the power of knowledge? Well, in the, the superhero? power of being able to download knowledge uh, real quickly, almost like Stephen the Matrix. Strange has that. Does it? Yes, he, you know, Doctor yeah, Strange because yeah. he does astral projection and then yeah. he reads books while he sleeps. Correct. Yeah, you could be Stephen Strange. Yeah. He's Doctor one of Strange. my favorite. Yeah. Sorry, yes, he's one of my favorites. He is. A, I love all things movie. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> but um, that knowledge, because then I could build a teleportation device, this right? Is true. <laughs> I'd be your best customer. <laughs> but I think that's the thing. Like, why would you just get the knowledge to do everything and then you have the power to do anything? Yeah. <laughs> this is actually a very good point. My favorite question coming up right mm. now is what is your best dad slash mum joke? Uh, okay. Mm, how is a squirrel the same as a cigarette? How is the squirrel? Ice rule, the same as a cigarette. I've got no idea. They're both harmless until you stick one in your mouth and set it on fire. <laughs> That's horrible. I love that joke. <laughs> Who's sticking a squirrel in their mouth? <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. And cigarettes are no good. Yes, indeed. They well are no done. Good. That is brilliant. I'm going to use that. <laughs> good. I'm going to use that. I'm a collector of jokes. So one last final question. Where can we find you? Uh, it's pretty easy, drgemmamunro.com and I'm also on LinkedIn as Dr Gemma Munro and Instagram as Dr Gemma Munro. You've got a fairly large following in that space too. It's I, I love chatting with people and I, I love um, sharing what's inspiring me and hearing about what's inspiring them but also trying to serve in whatever way I can. So whether it's tips or tricks or just answering their questions, it, I find it a really buzzy thing to do. Brilliant. Mm. Right, everyone, if you uh, want to follow this amazing human, go and check out those sites. Thank you so much for your time today. Gemma, it's been amazing you having you on the show. And thank you for everything that you're doing in the world. And Look, and I'm going to say this on behalf of, of the, the female uh, population that is listening in all the work that you did with Inkling Women and, mm. and Inkling Group. I know a lot of people who have said that you had a lot of benefit on the statistic of 60% of women mm. who have gone through your programs, have, have been promoted and, and had those aha moments. So, you know, you've had a lot of impact on the world. So kudos you. to you for that. Thank you, Dan, very much. I've enjoyed myself. Thanks again, guys. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care, guys. All the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.